So Christmas lights. Uh, man, I, I really love that song. I uh, think it's an underrated Christmas song, but my personal opinion. Uh, but Christmas lights bring some hope out of them. They bring a comfort and uh, a peace and a, a brightness to your neighborhood. Uh, perhaps they hide some of the, the garbage that's blown around and got caught up in your uh, bushes and your trees. And when you're driving through the neighborhood, you just see the glow and the sparkle of Christmas lights. And kind of like your picture, Lindsay, of Katie just staring at this giant tree covered in lights. There's just something so magical and wondrous about the Christmas season. And like this song, he's kind of talking about this hope that hopefully that this, this woman will come back to him. And he, he's reminded of the, the hope that comes from the Christmas lights. And as I've often watched this video or listened to the song, I understand that there's a greater hope. But if our only hope is in Christmas lights, is that all? If our only hope is in the joy that they bring in the Christmas season, well, the, the reality is they're going to be packed up in a month. And they're going to slowly dim over time. They're going to burn out. Or perhaps like our Christmas tree lighting last week, you plug them in and they don't turn on. <laughs> but is that all there is for comfort, for peace, for hope? And if, if that is, then as soon as those get put away, what's the next thing we're searching for in order to fill that, in order to find hope, joy, comfort? There must be more. And in fact, as our North American culture embraces human secularism, more and more, essentially, that's what's happening. Because you see, human secularism is the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. It kind of removes God completely from the equation, and it says we can establish morals, we can take care of ourselves, we can be self-fulfilled. But then what happens when tragedy strikes? Again, if it's just beautiful lights hanging on your house or your Christmas tree, and that's what you're putting your hope in, then where do you turn when tragedy strikes? Where do you turn when you enter the wilderness? This year, we, we've had a lot of tragedy, uh, had a lot of terror happening around the world. Uh, today, I, I, I Googled, I'm like, what, what all has happened in 2017? And you wouldn't believe the list. So this is just part of the list. Uh, there's a tragedy and terror in Damascus, Aleppo, New York, London, Barcelona, Manchester, Paris, Normandy, Nice, Orlando, Belgium, Las Vegas. And these are just some of the attacks that happened this year. And whenever these things happen now, everyone goes to social media to express their condolences. And they want to share uh, whether they change their Facebook profile to the, the country's flag or, or there's a different symbol that, that uh, symbolizes the hope that people are searching for in that time. But what strikes me the most is that people, even atheists and agnostics and people who are fully enveloped in human secularism, start writing, we're praying for you. 
Who are you praying to? How can you reject God on one hand and say, we can do this on our own, but when tragedy strikes and you're in the wilderness, you want to start taking from these religious beliefs. And, and I know it's just becoming a common expression, praying for you is kind of like best wishes, good luck. But people are longing for more. And what this ties into is what we talked about last week was we're, we're going through this welcome home series. And last week we talked about in the garden. And we started with the beginning because where you start matters. If we start with just sin and destruction, it's a bleak place we live in. But when we actually go back to the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2 in the garden where God created and it was good, we realize that there is hope, that there's this greater peace that we're yearning and longing for. Because we all, we all want life to be better for ourselves, for others, when we see these injustices. We're longing for this state of garden from which we're from and how we're made. So we have this desire for peace and for harmony, for a right order in the world. We long to be home, which I propose is in the presence of God. The story of the Bible is the story of the presence of God from beginning to end. It starts with peace and harmony in the garden, but then through Adam and Eve disrupting this peace, this shalom that... that uh, that God created and desires for us and for the world, it broke relationship with him. It broke this being able to be in his presence. But the good news is that God has been restoring us to his presence ever since. But like I said last week, we have two options. Because you see, God is always present. And just like Adam and Eve, after they, they broke this peace and harmony in the garden, they tried to hide from God. But I kind of related it to playing hide-and-go-seek with, with a little child, where they cover their eyes, and it's like, because you can't, they can't see you, they think you can't see them. And that's kind of like what we try and do with God. Nope, I can't see God, so he can't see me. But the reality is, we either recognize the presence of God or we try and hide from it, but it doesn't remove his presence. So tonight, if you have your Bible or if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, whatever you use, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 1. It's the second book of the Bible, and I want us to just journey with Israel through the wilderness and discover that even in the wild, God was with them. And then taking it even further is that even though we may be in the wild, God is with us. A lot of people come to church in the midst of wilderness. And there are many different levels and circumstances that we've each experienced. And it can be frightening, difficult, painful, disorienting. And you may be here hoping to find answers or at least find comfort, know that you're not alone. In fact, this past Wednesday, uh, Don Brown's funeral home put on a service of hope and for 
people within the Stony Creek and Glanbrook area to uh, be part of and uh, be able to grieve loved ones that they've lost this past year. And it was a very moving service. But man, could you feel the grief that was in the room. I was expecting that it was going to be a much older congregation of people. Uh, it wasn't. There were a lot of young families. Uh, I'd say the, the youngest was probably uh, four or five years old. And I don't know everyone's story of what brought them out, but um, I talked to a few people and I would just ask, if you don't mind me asking, um, what or who brought you out this evening? And, and they would share stories of nephews and parents and friends either passing away after living a good life or tragically being killed and life ending too short. And as everyone walked up at the end of this service to light a candle in memory, I just remember seeing the glow of these candles at the front of the sanctuary and realizing, wow, there's a lot of pain. But man, we are not alone. Not only do we have each other, but we have the presence of God with us. So whatever you're facing tonight, just know that there is hope. Yes, it does get better. This isn't the end of the story. But now getting to the Israelites in Exodus, uh, starting right in Exodus chapter, chapter 1. Uh, the, the early parts of the Bible are about the Israelites and the formation and the identity of a new kind of tribe. Abraham was the forefather of this tribe where God creates this covenant with Abraham and says he's going to be a blessing and have a, a nation under him. And, and his son Jacob then, which later his name is changed to Israel, which then where we get the Israelites from, they're called to be a tribe to show the world the redeeming love of God. God covenants with them in order to show his love for the world. It's not to, to take over and win battles, and there's a lot of that in the Old Testament, but the Israelites are to show the redeeming love of God. And in the Bible, you may notice that people are first taught who they are. Because the more you know about who you are and where you come from, the more you'll know what to do. And that's why it's important for us to start last week in the garden. Because again, most churches that I grew up going to, I didn't hear who I was, but I heard where I needed to be better, what I had to do to, to be a better Christian, to, to have a better life. And it became more of a white-knuckling my Christianity rather than actually understanding who I am in Christ and naturally responding to his work. But I get it. It's, it's hard to also not want to focus on where we can get better, uh, where we can um, grow. But the Bible begins with telling us who we are. And it begins with telling Israel who they are. 
So here we have the Israelites, but in Exodus, right at the beginning, they're slaves. They're in Egypt, and they become slaves. And because this is a result of Pharaoh wanting to have control and wanting to have power. Exodus 1, 9 to 10, you have Pharaoh explaining that the Israelites are starting to outgrow us, outnumber us. If they join with enemies then, and war breaks out, we're going to be outnumbered. So we need to make them slaves in order to exercise our power and our control. And this just automatically reminds me of, I've been watching Survivor lately. It's on season 35. I know, it's hard to believe it's still on, but there's, you have an alliance of seven, and then there's only six on the other side. So you're like, yes, we can start getting rid of them. But then this alliance of seven starts realizing like, man, once these guys are gone, then they're going to turn on me. So then they start jumping ship. And well, that's kind of what's happening here is Pharaoh saying we need to exercise this control and this power. So let's make the Israelites slaves in Egypt. But what's shocking here is aren't the Israelites, are suppo- aren't they supposed to be God's people? So I think if we actually dig a little deeper, at the heart of this story is a question. And the question is, can the world head in a new direction? Or are we trapped, doomed to repeat the same old tired cycle of conflict? You see, Moses is about to rise up in defiance of Pharaoh, lead the Hebrews, which are the Israelites, out of slavery and into the wilderness, reminding them over and over of their destiny to be a new kind of people in the world. So why is this a big deal? It's because, as one author puts it, if you're a slave, you have one burning question. Will we always be slaves? Or to put it another way, will Pharaoh always have the power? Or to put it another way, whose side is God on, ours or Pharaoh's? Or to put another way, are the deepest forces of life for us or against us? Or to put another way, are we here to suffer or are we here to do something else, something bigger and better? Or to put another way, does oppression or liberation have the last word? Does injustice or freedom win in the end? So when Moses led his people out of Egypt, this wasn't just the liberation of a specific tribe. It was the answer to a question people have been asking for thousands of years. Are our lives set in stone and unable to change? Or can we be set free from whatever it is that enslaves us? So let's look at the story here in Exodus chapter 3. Because you have Moses who's out tending his flock when he suddenly notices a burning bush on fire, but it's not burning up. Now, one Jewish tradition, it's interesting, is I often thought that Moses is kind of walking along and then poof, the bush lights up in flames. And one Jewish tradition actually believes that the, the bush might have been burning for a while, but it took Moses some time to slow down and actually recognize that the bush was burning. And I thought, man, how similar is that to us? Sometimes God's trying to get our attention, but we're just too busy that we don't even notice. But when we slow down, we recognize where God's at work in the presence of God. That's my phone. (laughs) 
So in verse 7, God says to Moses, he says, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. Crying out. Crying out is another major theme of the Bible. People crying out in their misery and their pain, but God always hearing the cry of the oppressed. This story isn't just about liberation, but it's a warning to anyone who's ever used their power and strength to dehumanize, to exploit the weakness of another. It's saying your days in power are numbered because the deepest forces of the universe are on the side of the oppressed, the underdog, the powerless. There's an Old Testament passage in Isaiah which is handed to Jesus on a scroll in Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19. And Jesus reads this scroll and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the ca that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You see, God is for us. God is moving things forward. He hears our cries. But getting back to Moses and the burning bush, we would expect, just as Moses, I believe, did, that when you have God saying, I've heard their cries, I've, I've seen the oppression, I'm concerned, I'm aware of their suffering, then the next thing God would say would, so I'm going to go do something about it. But God turns it around and says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. That's hilarious because Moses himself, a little background on him, is that he is Hebrew. He was raised by the Egyptians. He ended up killing an Egyptian after seeing the harsh treatment of the Hebrews. And he took off. He, he's a fugitive. He's out on the run. And now God's asking him to go back. And what's more is that Moses is actually 80 years old when he's asked to go see Pharaoh. 80 years old. This is incredible. But Moses, just like I'm sure many of us, he protests to God. But God assures him by saying, I will be with you. Now, there's a lot of uh, rich text here because the, the phrase that God starts using here, this whole dialogue between Moses and God and God's name and God begins sharing his name, saying, I am with you. And Moses is saying, well, who do I say what God has sent me? And he's saying, God says, I am who I am. I am is with you. And I can't go into all the richness of this and unpack it, but essentially Moses is saying, I can't do this. And God is saying, you're not. I am. And the name that God gives here gets used over and over. It's uh, translated into Yahweh. Um, but it gets used over and over to refer to the one who rescued them from slavery, brought them out into a whole new life. Again and again, they were called to never forget the kindness shown to them by extending the grace, the love, the generosity to those around them. 
but they kept forgetting. Over and over, they kept losing that connection with their roots. So even when the Israelites were complaining and wishing that they had died in slavery back in Egypt, God was still with them and provided for them. That's incredible. These guys were just saved from slavery, but then they start griping and complaining, wishing they had died. Even when they turned to other gods, God was compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, unfailing in love. Even while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God was present with them through the tabernacle. And the cloud would hover over it during the day, and and it would fill with fire and glow inside the cloud at night so all the Israelites could see. And if the cloud moved, then the Israelites would move. And if the cloud stayed, they would stay. And in Deuteronomy 7, it reads, The Lord your God has blessed you in everything you've done. He's watched over your every step through this great wilderness. During these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. Again, the story of the Bible is about God's presence with us. But they had to be continually reminded and taught who they were. And I believe the exact same is true for us today. You see, that's why I love coming together and gathering. And sometimes I feel that's one of the reasons God's even made me a pastor is because I myself need to be reminded constantly of these things that I'm sharing, that, that I'm not alone, that I am forgiven, that we, we have each other to spur each other on, to encourage one another. And that's why he tells us in Hebrews to not give up meeting together. Again, in the Bible, people are taught first who they are because the more you know about who you are, the more you'll know what to do. Your primary identity, your true self, is found in who you are in Jesus, not in the ways that you've disrupted shalom. And this is why some sermons that I've heard over the years, and I'm sure you guys have too, can be so soul-sucking. It's because they're, they're not an announcement about who you are in Christ. They're all about what you're not, where you've fallen short. And the fact is, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But when you keep being beat up time and time again, they become boring and lifeless, and they produce despair. And even though they quote lots of Bible verses, they mistakenly teach you that your identity is found in your sin. It's not. It's found in Jesus Christ. He's taken care of your sins. And this is the beauty of the Christmas season. It's that God loved us so much that he came to be present with us, to restore his presence with us. The way of peace is not by declaring war. It's through welcoming others into our presence and into the presence of Jesus. It's by welcoming others into the light. And you see, when you light a candle in a dark room, you realize how dark things actually are. But it's the light that draws people near. John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light that we have isn't just Christmas lights. It's the light of Jesus, which we're called to be reflections of. I have one more video clip 